All right, welcome to the Inspired to Be Authentic podcast. I am your host, Matt Lancedale. Inspired to Be Authentic is a podcast where we converse with people who are living their most authentic lives. We get real with our guests and talk openly about how they live with courage to be themselves. We explore barriers they've overcome to be more authentic and aligned to themselves and their purpose. Today is episode number two, but it's actually episode number one with my very first guest. So I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited. Um, before I introduce uh, him, I want to just set the stage for what you guys can expect to get out of this, uh, this episode. So we are going to be talking about trauma and authenticity. So oftentimes we can see our traumas as things that make us flawed. And when we feel flawed, we don't want to show up in the, the essence and the, the allness of who we are. So we hold aspects of ourselves back. So I've invited an expert in this area, somebody who can come in and talk a bit about trauma and how we can learn to heal our trauma and um, learn to just step into all that we are and our authenticity. So um, we have Seth Santoro joining us today. Uh, welcome, Seth. Hey, what's up? <laughs> so excited to be here. So I want to just, uh, I want to share your bio and then I'll get you to kind of talk a little bit about uh, yourself and just who you are. So, um, okay. so Seth Elliott Santoro is an intuitive business coach, author, medium, HR advisor, keynote speaker, and death expert. That is a lot of good stuff there. We're going to dive into that today. Um, Seth's vision is to inspire the world one by one to smile and therefore heal from the inside. He is an author of the book, How I Learned to Smile from the Inside. He believes we can all heal from absolutely anything. Uh, combining his passion for corporate America, his training as a coach, and his metaphysical gifts of intuition and mediumship, Seth partners with clients to reframe their minds, re-engage their, in their present, and create a better legacy, future, and fulfilling life for themselves and everyone around them. That's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> you read it so well. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, welcome. This is su super exciting. I'm uh, extremely honored to have you as my very first uh, podcast guest. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, so yeah, you know, these are all the titles that we have of ourselves. These are the labels, the things that, that mm -hmm. define what we are. Um, but I want to get, uh, you know, a little bit to understand who you are. Like what, what is, um, what's the fire in your belly? What gets you going? And um, let's talk a bit about that to start off. Sure. It gets me going. Um, I, I love helping people heal. I mean, it's plain and simple. Um, we carry around so many traumas with us all the time and it is apparent in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, and it affects everything about us and then it affects therefore everyone around us. And then it affects, it's just like this rippling effect. Yeah. So my main thing is to heal people in life now. Cool. Um, and, and I also love to heal people through death. Mm. <laughs> Meaning, oh. you know, as the medium side of me, <laughs> I know I'm sure you have many questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah no, but healing, healing, um, helping people heal through their deceased loved ones um, and intuitive readings where we talk about they're not so distant past, they're present and they're not so distant future. And then healing, healing CEOs and politicians as they make the important decisions that affect so many people around them. Mm. Um, so that's, I mean, that's what, I mean, I could talk about that all day long, but yeah. that, that's what really gets me going. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Um, what, uh, 
why don't we talk a bit about your origin story? Like what, uh, okay. young Seth, how did this all develop? How did this transpire? Well, when I was five years old, um, I knew that I wanted to help the world heal in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted to be either a fireman, um, a figure skater, um, or an actor or a lawyer. Like I was five, right? So, so don't judge me for that. But, um, <laughs> but I remember exactly where I was. And I remember the feeling I had that I had to heal and help save the world somehow. Um, and ever since then, I, you know, I became an overachiever. A super overachiever. Actually, probably the learning disability that I have when I was growing up also definitely helped me to be a perfectionist and strive for excellence in everything I did. So, you know, of course, I was like valedictorian and, you know, I sang at all the games, at the, all the basketball games. I was just very well liked. And I I went to college at like 16 and I, I, I went to just everything I did, I had to do better for me, not for anyone else other than me, you know, because yeah. I had something to prove to myself. Um, and I think it was in my 20s, my early 20s, I started in corporate America and I kind of had my first, I guess, existentialist crisis, realizing that there's so much more to this. There's so much more to life than this, you know? Um, so that's when I started to uh, practice meditation. I became a yoga teacher. I got into rebirthing, you know, like using breath and yogic breath to, to help kind of manifest whatever I wanted. And mm-hmm. it was kind of a crazy time in my early 20s. Um, and of course, you know, I quit my job and started working at a spa and, you know, like became a yoga certified yoga teacher, yoga classes. Um, so it was kind of a crazy time. Um, and during that time, I lost five close friends of mine, um, which was crazy. Um, and it helped me to experience firsthand what it was I was going to do later in life in my 20s. Um, I just thought it was normal that, <laughs> that you feel things about people, or I thought it was normal that you would talk to your best friend that died a couple weeks ago. You know, I thought mm-hmm. that was somewhat normal. Um, although my definition of normal is my life, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and most people think my life is pretty unique. Um, so in my twenties, then I, um, I was in this wonderful relationship and we broke up and I, we were planning on moving to LA and I, I was a New Yorker through and through. And I was like, let's do this. You know, I want to experience like a whole new life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started playing this game at, at parties <laughs> where I would guess where people were, were from. Um, it's with, with it, with it, like a 90% accuracy, you know, and I would guess like usually in the United States. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, and I would get their state right away and it was so crazy. And I realized later on that it was me just tapping into my intuition mm-hmm. all along. I just didn't realize. So fast forward in my thirties, um, you know, I was held at gunpoint by the cartels in Mexico. Um, I, Oh, in my late twenties, I was diagnosed with cancer. I survived like cancer. I mean, there's just, I, I experienced all these things um, in my life that when my boyfriend at the time, Cyril, converted to HIV positive, that was the moment that I, well, I guess the moment or a couple hours that I realized um, I'm about to go through something. You know, it was like me rushing back. I was working in Mexico and LA between Mexico and LA at the time. And I was, I was rushing back to see him. And I finally made the last plane from Mexico city to LA and I was sweating and profusely. And I just sat down and I was like, wow, you were about to go through something huge. I mean, we are about to go through something huge, but I knew that at that moment I, I had, I had 
begun to think that there was a pattern to how I dealt with death, how I dealt with trauma, and how I dealt with crisis. Um, so I then started to basically uh, notate everything that I did and every experience that I was going through so that I knew that it would one day become a book. And so that's what I did. And that's where How I Learned to Smile from the Inside <clears throat> came about because, and luckily, I mean, I didn't zero convert to HIV positive, but, you know, I stayed with him to a point where I then woke up and was like, wow, I deserve so much better. Just a whole other discussion. But, but, <laughs> but the origin then begins, right? Yeah. So after the book came out, um, I woke up again, like two years later and was with someone where I was like, I deserve so much better. And I literally said that to him. And the next day, that's when the world and the universe opened up to me. Am I talking too much? No, I let you ask questions? no not okay. at all. You're <laughs> as a podcast host, you just gave me like a thousand bones. That was so, so amazing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you have a, a, a lot has happened in your life. Um, I can see why you have the depth that you have in, in your being. Um, and I can feel that depth Thank that you, you have in your being. It's really, really cool. Um, so I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the audience. What would they, what bone would they want to pursue further? I'm thinking, um, why don't we go into the, the cartel story? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Um, I was, I was about, around 30 years of age and I, we had armored vehicles yeah. and at the time the cartel situation in Mexico was at its highest. Um, yeah. Where in Mexico were you staying? So this was Northeast Mexico. So okay. this was between Mexico city and Monterey. Okay. I don't know how well you know Mexico. Yeah. But, yeah. I know it quite well. Um, yeah. Okay. So San Luis Potosí and Tamaulipas were the two States that we were in between. So we had okay. two ranches. I swear to God, we were growing lemons. That's what we were doing. Like there's no pretext. <laughs> I, I worked for this company where we were growing lemons and processing them. Um, and we, my bodyguard security was in the car driving and we were stopped. We were constantly stopped by military and police and everyone because we had armored vehicles and you had to register your armored vehicles and all that stuff. And we were, had con the Department of Defense knew who we were, like in Mexico, because we had so many armored vehicles. Mm -hmm. So we um, were pulled over by the police. And I don't know how much everyone knows about Mexico, but the the lower in terms of what they make, um, the more corrupt they can be, because obviously the cartels can pay them so much better. So I was nervous that we were pulled over the police. And we were also in like a six lane weird highway. And they pulled us in the middle of it. And so I knew that was weird too. Why wouldn't you let us pull over to the side? So we get out of the car and they always laugh at me because I'm like this tiny little boy. And they're like, oh, they always just assume that he's a senator's son or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so we get out and I'm like, excuse me, can we pull over to the side there? Um, and they're like, they're like, well, you should really stay where you are, but okay. So we went over the side and I'm, I'm not even joking. Within five minutes, there were four cars um, surrounding us and literally so that we couldn't move. And wow. it, it, that was my first kind of inclination that this was not a normal kind of pullover, you know? Um, and then they started to ransack the vehicle essentially and 
tear up everything. Now, if it were the military police, they basically take everything out and then put it right back in exactly where it was. But the police could care less and the cartels could care less. And of course, I had two phones. I had two laptops. I mean, I was prime, you know, Mm -hmm. prime for that. So within about 15 minutes, um, I want to say the gordo, which is the word for fatso in Spanish. It's a term of endearment. But anyway, this like guy comes up in this white Jetta and he gets out of his car and he has like this pink phone with him. I'll never forget. It's like a Barbie phone. And he walks over to the car and I could tell he was one of the bosses. You know, everyone kept calling him jefe. Oh, and by the way, did I mention that there's six um, machine guns on me at the time? Right. So it's not like, this is not like normal at this point. So I have to give him my passport, you know, with, with six guns at my head. Um, and my security guard is like freaking out. And I speak Spanish fluently. And so sometimes I, when I got, when we got pulled over, I would pretend that I didn't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. but this time I was very well assured that yes, I definitely speak Spanish. So anyway, so there's six guns on my head. The, the guy, the Gordo guy, the, the guy in the white Volvo, I did not like him and he did not like me. And he mm-hmm. kept asking all these questions about what's on my phone and what's on my laptop. 45 minutes later, we're still in the same thing. I, my, my security guard is still like almost crying. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be protecting me right now? Because I kept calming him down. Um, and I started to get fresher with the, um, you're getting like the unabridged version, but I started to get Perfect. fresher with the, 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 the guy in the white Volkswagen. And he was just a dick, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And he kept asking the same questions over and over. And I finally said, you know, I think we should call my friend, Lieutenant Gonzalez. And Lieutenant Gonzalez, had frequented our lemon growing um, ranches looking for cartels because there was so thousands and thousands of hectares, right, of, of lemons. So it was a great place. And every time he came, I would always give him and his crew like Diet Cokes, Cokes, and anything they wanted, right, like waters. So the last time I was there preceding this event, mm-hmm. he said, you know, if you ever get in a situation where you feel uncomfortable with the police or anyone else, here's my number, call me. Mm-hmm. So I immediately was like, oh my God, why don't we call Lieutenant Gonzalez? And the guy to my left gets closer to my head, like with the gun, he gets closer to my head, like it's literally cocked at my head. And the guy's, you know, like, what, well, do you know Lieutenant Gonzalez? I was like, of course. I was like, he comes to our ranches all the time. And by the way, these are, these are the Zetas. So they were a very, very um, tech savvy company. So, or, or cartel. So they knew who I was. They knew they wanted the car. They'd been casing it for months. They did, by the way, get it a month later. They literally just almost killed my, or nearly killed my other security guard, left him for dead. He did, he lived, thank God, um, but got the vehicle anyway, but I wasn't having that today. <laughs> like that day <laughs> I was like, I mean, I, I said to him, I was like, why don't you just take the effing car? And in English, I said it at first, because I knew he understood English. And he's like, no, 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 entiendo. Like, I don't understand. And I was like, and then I told him in Spanish, like, take the car. Just I leave us and take the car. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want your car. I was like, well, then why are you pulling me over? He had no reason. So anyway, back to Lieutenant Gonzalez. So I could see the fear in everyone's eyes at that moment. Sorry, I'm going all over the place. But by the way, the owners of the company at the time were best friends with the Clintons. And Hillary Clinton was the, the, the Secretary of State at the time. Okay. So they knew that if they decided to take the car or hurt us, they would have to deal with the Clintons. And they probably didn't want to do that at that moment. right? Mm. So after I threatened Lieutenant Gonzalez, he was like, you don't know who he is. And I was like, of course I do. And I pick up the phone and he's like, put that phone down. And of course the gun then goes into my head and I'm like, Oh God, this is not a good situation. And I 
think I almost peed my pants. I'm not sure at that time, but I literally was like, I called him and I was like, like, let's call him. And then he's like, put your phone down. And I was like, and the guy grabbed my phone, you know, takes it off. And then I was like, okay, so what are we doing here then? Like, what, what do you want? And he's like, and then he calls his, like his jefe, his boss. And then finally they decide that they want the car Mm. or me or anyone else. So literally within 60 seconds, everyone was gone. Everyone's gone. My my security guard starts crying, like literally starts crying. And I, <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Wait. In all fairness, um, and so I, I calmed him down, and he called his security people, and he's like, "Oh my god, we were just pulled over by the the set that was the cartel." Blah blah. You know, I call my boss and I tell him the whole story. Um, I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but it, it was not funny. Um, Can imagine. We get to the, the the other ranch about an hour later, and I go to the bathroom and I call my boyfriend at the time, and I literally and then I start crying because I'm like, oh my god, what just happened? And I just lived through that, and I saved the car. I mean, mm-hmm. not, I don't care about myself. Like I saved this car, mm-hmm. um, which was just a, like a suburban, you know. Anyway, yeah. um, so I kissed the ground I walked on. Um, and for that job, I never went back to Mexico. Um, it was, it was not out of, I mean, it was, it was out of fear, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, I, my boss was so impressed with me because it was boring times. I mean, we were, t- we, there were, um, curfews at the time in all of, in both of our States, like yeah. you had to be in, you had to be in the house at a certain time. Otherwise you could be out in harm's way. We thought we saw bodies burning. We, heads were found like a, two kilometers away from where I slept. I mean, it was yes. a crazy time. So where I'm going with this is whenever I tell it, I always, I always like take some breaths afterwards. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, intense. I, I, it's intense. Um, but I realized that no matter how much they paid me, a six figure job was not worth my life. No. Um, I also realized that, wow, what a really cool story to then help other people who are kidnapped or held at gunpoint. And by the way, this is the second time I left, I was held at gunpoint. I was held at gunpoint 20 years prior to that in Colombia because the cartels really love me, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the story. Um, and, but I love telling it. And then I love talking to other people who've been through similar situations because there's nothing like having, you know, six guns on your head and not guns. Like these are, you know, the, the guns that we're not supposed to have. have. Totally. Yeah. Like, you know, machine guns, whatever. So, yeah. Um, well, this, this, this um, interview is really about trauma, right? And we, when we're looking at trauma, these are the types of things that can happen to us that create trauma, traumatic absolutely. response in our lives. What sort of impact did this situation have on you uh, in your life? Yeah, very good question. Um, so about a month later, as I told you, my, my bodyguard or my, 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 one of my good friends and bodyguard security was nearly killed um, and they got the car. Um, and that's when, for me, reality sunk in that, holy shit, this just happened to me. And this is, this is not going away. It's not getting better. And, and it was during that time that we, he was lost. Like, we, we knew that he was in the car because we obviously bugged the cars yeah. um, before this. And so we knew he, we knew he was alive barely. And it was during that time that we were searching for him and trying to find him that for me, 
I remember every minute of what I did that day. It was so specific about what happened. And so for me, like we can talk about my book, obviously, but there are several stages that I believe that we all go through. And yeah. the significant, um, well, it's S-M-I-L-E. I use the acronym of SMILE, right? Yeah. So we'll just go there quickly because it helps how I totally. tell the story. Yeah, it's perfect. So, so S is good segue. <laughs> uh, so S is for shock, right? Because we can't yeah. really get around that. Then I, I believe that M is for mock acceptance, which is my way of saying part denial and part acceptance. So it's the moments where someone dies in our life and we have to plan the funeral or the memorial service or the celebration of life. Um, and it's, we actually get it done. And we have no idea how we get it done. We don't remember anything about it, but we get it done because we have to get it done. So it's that, it's, it's, I believe it's the body's defense mechanism. That's yeah. how the body, mind, and soul kind of allow all of the, what's really going on to, to sink in, you know? Mm-hmm. So then we go through what I call in overwhelmedom. And this is where I was talking about that day that we couldn't find my security guard. It's the poignant and significant emotions that we all must go through. And no one really likes me when I get to this part of any speech or public speaking mm-hmm. event that I do, because I always tell people, you have to feel your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> There's, you have to go through it. You yeah. know, and no one wants to do that. No. Um, but when you ask, like, that was the moment where I think I was in real big denial, like acceptance for about a month after it happened, August 11th, 2000. Um, oh, good. I'm so glad I forgot the date. 2011, <laughs> I think. Um, anyway, so I, um, so it's, it was that poignant emotions. And then, so I just, I was, I was, I don't want to say empty, but I was so numb that day so numb that like I, I I couldn't cry I couldn't laugh I couldn't do anything all I could do was hope and pray that he was okay mm-hmm. so finally when they found him that's when like the goosebumps hit my mother was like what's wrong with you today and I just started I just started crying you know like and I hadn't told them yet because they, you know like it took me a minute to tell anyone really like what had happened to me um so you know and it took months like I, I literally did transition for four months out of that position and I loved that position. It was crazy and crazy adventures every day and warring times, mm-hmm. but it was the most amazing job I ever had. Yeah. And um, what were you doing exactly? And so it, was, it took me, so I was the head of HR and all resources. So I, I basically handled everything. I was like the number two person in charge. Um, mm. except for the lemon operations and production that was handled by coworkers. Gotcha, okay. So I, I made sure that, you know, there were 150, I think about 150 employees. There were wow. two ranches and I basically kind of the heads of farming for a while reported to me. It was kind of a crazy gig. Cool. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, so it took several months for me to go to the next level, which is learning right? Which is the L in smile, right? The smile method. And so that's where we gain insight and reflect upon what has happened to us. And I think it was around December, January when I, where I stopped and like left that job that I think life started to become fun again for me. Um, It was, it was, you know, I mean, I'm a happy person, you know, and like I'm, I'm smiling all the time. And my mother said mm-hmm. I was born smiling, you know? Um, um, so, so it, during that time I was still smiling, but there was something not completely right around about, about me. And I was really going through this again, all these, these emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So the learning happened when I realized 
what an incredible experience that I can use for the rest of my life as not like a, not as a hindrance, but I can use it as something that I ever overcame in my life, something that um, gave me more purpose mm-hmm. and, and, and to use that which I have been through to help other people. I mean, that's like, that was really, I think what helped me get to the last stage, which is embrace, which is mm-hmm. right, because I don't feel like acceptance is enough anymore. Yeah. Right. I just don't think 21st century, we need to enthusiastically kind of embrace what happens to us and use it in every way and take advantage of it to help other people. Yeah. Um, I love that. What I want to, I want to just ask you, what does that look like? Cause I think a lot of people that are listening to this, they're the, the, the words acceptance. I do agree that there, we need an updated term. Um, if we want to become aligned to who we are. So embracing or even allowance, I like the word allowance, like allow yeah. your experience to be. So how do, how do people embrace their, their, these things or their adversity and turn that into, um, their strength? Yeah. I mean, I can answer that in a lot of ways, but I want to, I want to just in the context of my smile method, like it's a method totally, to heal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I want to say to everyone is you have to do the work and the work in this case is you have to go through the shock. You have to go through the mock acceptance. You have to go through the feelings, the emotions, and then you get to a point where you're far enough away and removed that you can then gain insight and reflect. Um, for example, even if people, even you can use it for any type of crisis, any type of loss. So it works for death. It works for a relationship. It works for a job. I mean, Nowadays, like so many people, unfortunately, are losing their jobs because of this lovely COVID nineteen situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a, it's it's really getting to a point where you can say thank you, and I'm grateful that I had time with that person who passed away. I'm grateful that I had that job because I realized this is what I don't want, or this is what I do want, and I had the best boss, and that's the boss that I I, I want to be that boss. You know, so sure. it's it's about really. Um, being able to understand and be grateful for that, what you've been through. And then, so this is all in the compasses of doing the work, you know? Um, And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And I feel like most people get stuck in the learning stage. Well, I say some people get stuck in the emotions because they don't want to go through them. Right. Um, But I feel like the majority of people get stuck in the learning because people don't take the time to learn from what they've been through and to, reflect upon what's mm-hmm. been. So once you get to the embrace, and by the way, this is not like a, a chronological order, always pretty kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So I, even when I, right. So when I tell the story, even like it brings me back and it grounds me for a minute and it's like, Whoa. And I start to feel, I feel something. I feel emotions about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, like that was scary. <laughs> like I get that was scary moments in my life. Um, yeah. and then I, once again, I'm like, no, but I've learned so much. And it's one of the stories that I love telling because it helps people understand that you can go through really anything and still be able to embrace what happened to you and smile at the, mm-hmm. the end of the day. Can I answer your question? Yeah, it did. <laughs> and it brought up another question, which is good. <laughs> um, so what would you say the most uh, tangible skill that you could teach the audience um, that's helped right you, now. that's helped you um, heal through your own trauma? I think there are a couple things. Um, I think knowing, (laughs) knowing that this is temporary and that this will pass. I believe that gives hope. Mm. 
Um, and I feel hope is one of the most powerful, I don't know if you call it emotions or whatever, but um, it's one of the most important feelings and the most helpful feelings. Um, I remember being stuck in, in jobs and I would get up and be so upset about going to that job and feeling so you know disalignment, unalignment with, with what I wanted to do in my life. And the only thing that would help me was me saying to myself, this is just temporary. This is just temporary. You will get mm-hmm. through this. You're not always going to be stuck here. You know, um, I also feel that it's really important to allow yourself, sorry, awareness. That's another big one. Mm-hmm. So in order to, in order to move forward from anything, we need to become aware of where we are with that situation, with that death, with that relationship, right? That awareness is absolutely key to moving forward because once you're aware, then you can acknowledge where you are. Exactly. Yeah. And then from acknowledgement, you can then allow, which is the word that you like all those things to all the emotions to kind of come through and flow through. And then that's where the hope comes in. Um, And I want to say that, um, it's so important to accept yourself and to start in order to love yourself in the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I love myself most days. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's um, key to who I am as well, you know, Mm -hmm. because talking about authenticity and being the most authentic me, it's about acknowledging where I am and accepting who I am. And then for all my faults, for all my lovely, all my lovelies, all my long lovelies, and being in that place of acceptance um, and working on that. And every day, you know, like I didn't, obviously, I've always, I haven't always loved myself, right? Like it took, it was like what, 20 year process. So yeah. like it takes, it, yeah. So it takes, it takes a time, you know? And there are yeah. still days that I'm like, why did you do that, silly? You know? Yeah. Um, but, but, so yeah, that was a lot of things, but I think yeah. working on loving yourself, becoming more aware of where you are in your life and how you are dealing with certain issues or challenges that have happened, mm-hmm. acknowledging where you are, allowing how you're feeling to come through and go through that. Um, and then getting to the other side and then following the learning and the reflection yeah. and then the embracing at the end. Yeah. It's a constant, it's a, I mean, it's a constant, um, that's not the word I want. It's a consistent work in progress. Yeah. Always, always. What, um, how how do you think trauma can be a barrier to somebody becoming more authentic? Is this, this might sound terrible. I think that we all kind of at some points in our life, we live behind masks. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's funny and ironic that I say that now because we do live behind masks now. Yeah. But I think that um it's I think that the more we don't deal with what's going on or handle our situations and handle our own house if you will and get our house in order, I think the more it reflects in terms of what you put into the world, what you give to the world or what you don't give to the world. Um, and I feel like you kind of get further and further from the veil of authenticity. Um, and also you allow these, you allow these challenges or obstacles to basically hinder who you are and, and 
And so you're, so you're behind the game or behind something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you don't allow the true you to come through. Yeah. How, how do people, for the viewers and the people listening, how, how do we know what our true us is? Just breathing on that one for a second. Hold on. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate <laughs> for some breath. <laughs> Take a moment and tune into that because I feel like that's, that's such an important question. And I think a lot of people um, are grappling with that. And they, we, you know, you, you see it in, in younger adolescents. They're really grappling with who am I and, and who, how do I know who I really am and how I want to put myself forward, right? We have this idea of self-concept. But then again, it's just the way that the ego interprets the world around us and how we want the world around us to, to see us. But is yeah. that really who we are? Is that our authenticity? Right. You know, personally speaking, I feel like my 20s were where I like partied like a rock star, you know? I mean, I didn't really do any drugs myself, but I, I was so, I just tried everything in my 20s. And then in the 30s, I literally and physically and financially paid for my 20s, you know? Yeah. Um, and now that I'm in my early 40s, um, I'm starting, like, it's almost like all these layers have been peeled off. And I am starting to understand the real me has always been there. I've just evolved through the ages, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, my mother and many people have always told me, like, I'm an old soul, mm-hmm. right? And so I say that because I think in your 20s, I was struggling, as I told you, to be a yoga teacher and like, you know, having my existentialist crisis and meditating mm-hmm. and yoga. Um, like that was my way of, of, of seeing that there was more to me mm-hmm. than meets the eye, you know? So I feel like it's an evolutionary process of who you are. And I feel like, am I any less who I am when I was with? who I was in my twenties? No, absolutely not. I just, I've learned so much more and gained so much more wisdom now, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying I believe so in so many people, there are so many 20 year olds and I'm like, Oh my God, I, I wish I had your insight into life that I, you know, like 20 years later I have. So I think, I think it's always in us. And I honestly truly believe that we always feel and intuitively what the right or appropriate thing to do is. Um, and it's those obstacles and challenges that we've been through our entire lives that have informed us and our survival mechanisms, right? And our behavioral patterns that, that disallow us to be our true selves. Mm-hmm. So I think and feel that the quicker and that the, the quicker that we can deal with everything that we've been through and handle it and manage it and like put it on a shelf safely and lovely, I feel like the closer we can get to who we, the true us, if you will. But I also believe that we're always the true us. It's just, there's just shades of who yep. we are. And, you know, I mean, I said something to somebody yesterday and I was like, why did I say that? You know, like, why did you have to say that? And, yeah. and then I'm like, eh, let it go. And then boom, I learned from it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what just came up for me when you said that is I have this kind of vision of myself and who I am by myself when nobody's around, right? I kind of feel like that's my authentic self. That's who I really am because there's no one there to kind of to stifle me or make me feel like I have to deny aspects of myself. Um, the question I have for you, if that's, if that, if that, let's say that's true for you as well, based off of, off of percentage, how much of you do you show up in the percentage of who you are 
by yourself versus when you're around other people? I think it's going to be very, it's very different than where you want to go with this. But for me, honestly, I feel like I'm hundred percent when I am with, I feel like I'm hundred percent where I, with everyone else. Yeah. And I'm about, cause I'm so hard on myself. Yeah. So I, I get, I can go into like a, not a dark place, but I go into like a very self-reflective place. And yeah. I feel like that's like 75% of who I am. So I feel so, like when I'm. So you, you are 75, you bring forth 75% of yourself around other people. No, around myself. With yourself. Oh, interesting. And I'm 100% with other people. That's so, that's so fascinating. Yeah, you're right. It didn't go where I wanted it to go, but I feel like this is, <laughs> it's such a, it's such a good little nugget because what if, what's the 25% of yourself that you're denying yourself? Um, I'm really hard on myself. So I sit around and I'm like, what, what can I do for my YouTube channel today? What can I do to like, I'm writing these movies, these children's movies in my head. I'm reading, I'm writing children's books with my husband. What am I doing? What do I, what do I need to be doing? Like I get into this mode of like, you're not doing enough. Right. Whereas the moment I interact with someone else, I feel, I know that I'm enough. I, I know that I love giving to other people and I love receiving from other people. Um, also, like when I do a reading for people, you know, intuitive readings or, or intuitive business coaching or mediumship readings, I feel more alive. I feel more grounded. <laughs> right. So yeah, I love it. So how could you how could you take that and bring that that piece around back to yourself? What are you not offering yourself that you're offering other into the relationship of others? Because a relationship with somebody else is an extension of the relationship we have with ourselves. Always, people are mirroring back to us. So. I find that very fascinating. So what, what, what can you extrapolate from that relationship and imply it to yourself? I mean, for my entire life, I've always been working with the, I'm not, I'm not enough kind of words, right? So We're like the same so, character. <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I, so believing that I'm enough is, is, is always going to be my fun little challenge. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I'm. Listen, I, I love being by myself, and I, I'm not. I'm just. I'm being like a little bit exaggerative in the sense that 75 percent versus 100 because. But I still, I still grapple with that. So I think believing that I am enough is is, what I get to do more, mm-hmm. or that everything I'm doing is. I think you might have said this to me is like the divine time, right? So if it's not the right time, then, you know, I um maybe I'm not supposed to be doing it right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I like that. I, I want to dig into the, I borrowed the it from you. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. I borrowed a lot from you too. So. Um, I want to dig into the, um, the, I'm not good enough disease, okay. the disease of the mind of I'm not good enough. Um, this is something I've struggled with my whole life. Um, I know where mine comes from. I talk very openly about it. It comes from growing up being gay, not accepting it about myself and rejecting um, my shadows, rejecting the things I don't like about myself. And that created a very strong presence of perfectionism in my life. Um, I developed perfectionism as a mask to wear to cover up shame, which the voice of shame says I'm not good enough. So I I understand where mine comes from. I'm curious for you with your, your I'm not good enough. What does it, where does it come from for you? I think there's been a couple events, you know, in my life. I, um, when I was same year, four or five was a big year for me. Um, I knew that I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to do something to this boy and I didn't 
And I knew that that was unique and different. Mm -hmm. So I decided when I was five that no matter what, I'd always be my unique self, no matter what that looked like. So, and then a couple years later, right? Yeah. A couple years later, I had the most difficult time putting a story together. I mean, like <laughs> when I get nervous, right? Like there's something about my mind that kind of goes in a non-chronological order, right? And um, so it was really hard for me when I was eight, nine, 10 to tell stories in chronological orders. Um, and I, I went to like special ed classes like myself. Okay. And that was tough. Yeah. And um, so, and then interestingly enough, when I was 10 or 11, we were going to move yet again in my life. And because we moved around a lot and I did this test and these people said, your, your son is like brilliant. And he, we, we think he should skip a grade. And, and my parents and I were like, what? Like he was just in learning disability classes like two years ago. And now you're telling him. And so that did quite the number on me. Um, and I think it was in that moment that I realized I will forever strive for excellence and be the best ever, you know? Um, and so that means I was straight A's from then on, you know, valedictorian, graduated high school three years. Did I mention that? Yeah. So like all these things, like I just wanted to always be better and do better. And I still am very much like that in my corporate America sense. Like I'm always yeah. striving to be better, um, which is such a juxtaposition from the spiritual side of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, that's where I think I get, I'm not enough. Or I'm not good enough. Um, it was all self-imposed. Um, the gay thing was just, was just another part of, of, of who I am that I, I embraced it very early on. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So that's, that's not so much a part of your story, the gay aspect of things. It was more so around the learning disabilities and being a little bit different and then having that experience of, of the yeah. world around you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even a couple of years ago, I was doing this pilot and um, I was like, I consider myself to be very in touch with my masculine and very in touch with my feminine most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I like on camera, I said that I was gender fluid. And for me, it's like very interesting because I definitely identify with being a male, but I also like have all these feelings about like being a female too as well. So it's very, very interesting. So um, what does that look like? What uh, the, well, first off for people that don't understand what gender fluidity is, can you talk a bit about that? Uh, and then the second <laughs> part of the question would be, um, about the feminine aspects of yourself. Like how do you identify with them? Okay. So there's a gen, well, in today's world in 21st century, there's a gender spectrum. There's about 30 different terms politically speaking, um, to how to be in between genders right um so there's male female and then everything in between and then there's you know what you were born as which is cis cis male cis, cis female um and then there's how you identify in your gender expression so there's so many different there's a rainbow of flavors okay. um and so i um you know there's people who are yeah so so the gender fluid is kind of i know I was born a male and I know I'm a male. I know, obviously I have a physical apparatus of a male. Yeah. The female parts come in is I've always been, I've always felt like I'm a, 
straight man, a straight female trapped in a gay man's body. Mm. Um, and I know that a lot of gay people like kind of say that, right? Like I'm mm. a black woman in a, you know, a gay man's body, but, but I actually feel that. And like, I, I have all the emotions and senses and range of emotions and intuitive intelligence and emotional intelligence of a female, much more feminine, right? Mm-hmm. Than I do the masculine side of me. And I honestly, until I was about 30 something, I did not know how to relate to guys. So I learned how to, I learned everything about football I could um, from a girl. Mm-hmm. interestingly and then i started to kind of bond with guys over sports and then i was mm-hmm. like oh you're like the same as i am only not mm-hmm. so it's a very interesting story myself but um so what else do i and i also i don't know it, even it being intimate like i like to be kind of i like to be warmed up mm-hmm. and you know when i talk to my girlfriends like i'm much more in line with what they're feeling and i can but the cool part is i can see how the guy thinks and and how the girl thinks yeah so i have this really i think kind of great understanding of both genders and how they feel in relationships yeah um, anyway that's so i think that's question. yeah that's super cool um <clears throat> there's a term called two-spirited which is very much mm-hmm. that you have access to both portals but I really truly believe that most human beings have access to, to both portals. But what ends up happening is most men, they shame their, their, their feminine energy and they block it um, because they come from the belief around masculinity that we have to be alpha. We have to be this, we have to be that. So alpha right. means repression of feminine and expression of, mm-hmm. of masculine. So it's, um, it's very interesting. So I think what's happening right now in this on this planet is we're start to seeing a rise of the divine feminine, and um, people are going to start to come back into balance with their with their dualism of of masculine and feminine, and we're going to start to see a lot of resistance to it uh, via shame and and things like that. And but it's it's as we express it and re- and move through it, we have to experience the shame, and then once it releases from our being, we can start to come into contact with with that that side of our thing. So I do think we're going to see a lot more gender fluidity um, happening. We're going to see a lot more expression of the divine feminine. Um, it's, yeah, it's really, really cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I have so much to say, but, um, yeah, no, say I, I, I want to no, hear no, that. I, no, I totally too spirited. Yeah. No, I, I, the first time I read that, I was like, that's me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, like I identify with that. I, um, I also feel that we're, we're coming to a place where we must understand each other more so we must understand our own masculine and feminine and then in order to to be in relationship with someone else whether it be best friends or i'm, I'm really talking romantically involved but yeah um you we really must start to understand the other like the other emotions and how the other is feeling yeah um because we're coming especially now like I, I feel like a lot of couples are butting heads even more yeah. or falling in love even more. Like, you yeah. know, just because we're now trapped together or isolated together. Yeah. And, and so we get to, I just really, I just really want for people to understand more of where the other person's coming from. I feel like that can never be a bad thing in relationships. Yeah. Um, it, it just made me think of, Uh, what you said before about feeling your feelings, because that comes into play so strongly here, because if we want to be understood and felt, we have to be able to be understood and felt inside. 
because like we say, our, the, the relationships we, we participate in are a reflection of what's happening for us. They're just mirrors. So if we can learn to become more in touch with our own feelings, we can therefore become more empath- empathetic for other people and therefore receive that back. So how do we start to become more in tune with our feelings? Do you have any strategies that you can share with the audience about that? I mean, I, I honestly think there's this, I believe that there is kind of a, how do I say this, different parts to our lives, if you will. So there's the part where like there's our childhood and then there's our adolescence and we learn things from each of those and then we carry those, whether they're blockages, obstacles, challenges, or lovely memories, we carry them with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to our 20s and 30s and I feel like, as we evolve, again, we must deal, handle, manage all of these obstacles and all these survival mechanisms, and we have to break them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we are. We get to, um, I guess, understand and be the true us, us right? The authentic ourselves. Um, so I feel like it's the very same thing with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like without understanding where we've come from, we can not understand where anyone else is coming from exactly you know? yeah so i mean i know rupaul says that like if you don't love yourself how the hell is anyone else gonna love you you know mm-hmm. like that so so loving ourself is 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 doing the work is is um is handling and dealing and channeling with all of the stuff that you've been through into a beautiful place to who you are and use that to move forward right and move other people around you and i I just want to mention like compassion. I keep getting these words, you know, obviously I feel and receive a lot of information. So Mm -hmm. they're just saying, you must talk about compassion. You must talk about compassion when it comes to other people. Mm -hmm. So, but the first thing is compassion for yourself, right? So after we're doing all this work, we get to, as we're doing all this work, we get to forgive ourselves for anything and everything that we've done. Um, And then, then I think from the forgiveness begets compassion. And so once we have compassion for ourselves, then the love starts pouring in. And I feel like it's the same with everyone else, mm. everyone else around us, um, especially with romantic relationships. Did I answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're like, you got off track at some point. I was like, yeah, but I want to come back yeah. to compassion. That's um, I just think it's and compassion <laughs> is, is passion. Um, that flows through you, right? So mm-hmm. to yourself or to others. Um, and it's the non-judgmental way. And believe me, we all judge ourselves all the time and we all judge everyone else around us. Yeah. Um, the practice is to find the, the compassion for everyone. I mean, it's, yeah. honestly, I also had a lot of therapy along the way, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in therapy, I learned that, um, like my parents, I love my parents. I'm very grateful for my parents, but we had a tough time in my twenties and I realized that they are who they are and I need, I needed to accept them as they are. Yeah. And, and, and I've always been told that I'm going to teach my parents about unconditional love in this lifetime. And that's what I learned was unconditional love for myself. And then by extension, compa- through compassion, extending it to others. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that. I, uh, self-compassion has been a huge practice for me, um, moving away from perfectionism because perfectionism is all about how hard can I be on myself? So one of the things that I, that I do is when I find myself that when that, that starts to amp up, I ask myself the question, um, how can I be more gentle with myself right now in the, in this moment, how can I be more gentle with myself right now? And that is the practice of allowance because whatever comes up, right? What do I need right now is another one. And whatever comes up, you just allow that to be. If you need a nap, have a nap. If you need some food, have some food, right? So it's really just about allowing things to, to, to come into your experience and just let them be there. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm going to use that because I'm, I can be very hard on myself. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Um, so there's a fun thing that we do that, it, well, you're the first person, I shouldn't say we do it because you're the first person that we're doing it. But, um, so it's, it's called how much of me can okay, I be? I'm ready. How much, okay. of, how much of me can I be? So this is, um, a game that I came up with. So I've come up with 31 questions and they're, they're kind of like hot seat questions. So they're, they're questions that allow the guests to practice vulnerability and practice sharing a piece of themselves at the, at the, at the level to which they choose. Right. Um, okay. so and, and this, it's, yeah, so I pick, pick a number between 1 and 31, and we'll see what question we got for you today. <laughs> I got to go with my favorite number, 24. 24, okay. Question 24, we have, when's the last time you felt vulnerable, and how did you deal with those feelings? I knew it was going to be something about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was a couple days ago, to be honest. Um, I was sitting with my husband and I think it was Saturday or Friday or Saturday. Um, And I looked at him and I was just like, I feel like I'm so not in alignment with what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm so hating my life right now. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating gay so like that's you know i always have colored everything but i was just like i and i was just talking to my husband right so i'm like i'm hating this right now and like because you know i have hr clients and i have intuitive business coaching clients and the hr clients um are lovely and wonderful and i'm grateful it's just it's it's a lot of what i don't want to be doing yeah um and i sat there and you know just tears kind of came out of my eyes and i was like i i just want to take better care of us mm-hmm. you know as I get more emotional now too. Mm. Um, and, and, and taking care of us in all senses, right. Um, and doing that, which propels me forward, which was your very first question, what passions me, what, you know, what enthuses me. And, and I just wanted to be doing so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, that was the last time. And I, I don't really ask for help very often. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure we can dive into that too. Um, but I, I honestly, I go to very few people as mentors and I, 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 um, and I respect the hell out of the people that I ask questions of, you know? Um, so, so it's, it's, um, so to ask even my husband is, is I I just said like, what do you think I should do? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and I don't like, that's not a question that I ask very often. And so good. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Vulnerability, that's one of the hardest things when when practicing vulnerability is asking for help. 
most people really struggle with this and especially people in our in our realm of things where we coach and we're we're expected to have all the answers for everything um we put a lot of pressure on ourselves so we don't want to be vulnerable and ask for help and that's been one of the biggest things that i've learned in the last couple months is uh, allowing other people to inspire me is a big one for me because I feel like I always have to be the one to inspire others. And then I, my, my bucket gets drained very quickly. So how can I allow other people to inspire me? So it's nice to be able to connect with other people like yourself and, and different people that I follow and their work is um, it allows me to fill up my bucket, which is uh, which is beautiful. Awesome. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's another thing that, that I like to do. It's called, this is me tip of the week. So basically it's, um, this is me is, is, is a term that I coined to help people own who they are, right? This is me. We hold, we hold ourselves in a, in a beautiful container of space to be who we are. And that's what this podcast is all about. So if you were to share a tip for our viewers to be able to um, do that, to step into the truth of who they are and practice it for this week, uh, what would you say? Oh, I wish I had prepared for this question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, I like things to come through as a download. So like for people yeah. like the first, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be sometimes the most beautiful gifts we're given are the most simple reminders of things we already know. Right. So what's, what's one thing that you think would benefit other people to help them own, own their energy and own who they are. I think all day <laughs> it's it's been like accepting where you are now and understanding that this is the journey that we're on mm-hmm. um and i i know that people that listen to your podcast obviously are are striving for more in their life right mm-hmm. so as am i every day um so what I want, and this is what my golden nugget that was given to me today. So I'm just going to, sh- I'm going to share this. I'm not mm-hmm. just going to do anything. I'm going to share this is accepting where you are. Um, because it only gets better from here. Mm. You know, I think, yeah. uh, I love the, the adage, um, the best is yet to come. Yeah. And so by accepting where you are, I can feel it as I'm talking to you. Like I could, I could, all day I've been working on accepting where I am, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I want to be so much further with my YouTube channel. I want to be so much further with my children's book, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. so accepting where I am has allowed me to to smile today and yeah. and and be gentle with myself. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And it's about um, sometimes it's about drawing ourselves back to the present moment, right? Because when we're having those moments of feeling like we need to be further we're living outside of ourselves in this imaginary place where we think we need to be to feel better. But that's a form of self-abandonment, right? When we say, I'm not enough for me right now, it's we're abandoning ourselves and we're perpetuating the I'm not enoughness of our experience. So it's about drawing ourselves back to the present moment. I like to put my hands on my heart, like I said, and I say, I am here. This is me. I'm here right now in this moment. And I'm grateful for the followers I have. I'm grateful for the, the work I've put forth in myself and just really, really ground yourself into the here-ness. Um, it's, it's, it's been very effective for me. 
So I think we just shared like 10 strategies that they can use you. this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One thing I want to say too about the COVID-19 situation, it is, yeah. it is forcing us to be more present and all yes. of us be more present because we're all having so many emotions. So yeah. I'm, I'm loving that aspect of it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so I do want to um, obviously thank you for coming on today because oh my God, um, please. your expertise is, is profound and you bring forth a beautiful energy. That, that alone, your energy alone is such a transmission for people to receive, whether it's through audio or video, like just to see your energy, feel your energy, that alone can change, can change the world and change people. So I'm extremely grateful to be able to share wow. this last hour with you. Um, Thank you. And I mean that truly from the bottom of my heart. Um, I, I want people to be able to connect with you. So what's, sure. what, uh, why don't you share a little bit about uh, how people can reach out to you if they feel the need and are, and are feel called to reach out to you? Sure. Uh, I have two websites, sethsantoro.com and then I am Seth Elliott, one L one T. So I am Seth Elliott.com. Um, you can pretty much find me at any handle like Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Facebook at I am Seth Elliott. And awesome. you can get my book, How I Learned to Smile from the Inside on Amazon, pretty much anywhere in the, the world. So, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. It's been an honor. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I wanted to thank the audience uh, for your patience today. Uh, I know there was a little bit of background noise. Someone was drilling uh, while I was, <laughs> but this, this is my first episode. So I'm like, you know what? Congrats. Yay. Yay. Uh, so there's a bit of a learning curve for me. So appreciate your patience as, uh, as the audience. Um, on the next show, we have a really cool person coming on, Blake Spence, who is going to be talking about masculinity. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And um, please leave your comments and your reviews, whether this is you're seeing this on YouTube or uh, through a podcast, leave your reviews. And um, I'm always going to be posting um, a song of the week because I always, I get a lot of my um, authenticity through the music I listen to and I love sharing music. So every week I, I get downloaded music to myself that things that come up for me and they're very aligned to where I'm at in my growth. And I know people that follow my work are also aligned to this, uh, the same work that I'm doing. So I'm going to be sharing a song in the show notes. So be sure to uh, check out what that song is going to be each week and feel free to leave your review of today's episode as well. Um, yeah, again, thank you so much. Appreciate your, your time and your energy that you put forth in this. Thank you. Bye everyone. Mm -hmm.